Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 108 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. So this is the last episode of the season. I'm going to be taking a much needed break and prep for some surprises for you for next year. And while we're on break, I suggest checking out the website, highway2.health, just, just put together this past year. You can find all seven seasons there, all free to explore. Or you can head over to the Highway to Health podcast channel on YouTube, where you can watch me have conversations like the one you're about to hear today with Dr. Judson Brandeis. And if you think you've got something to share with this audience of health seekers, consider contributing to the Highway to Health journal. It's a great way to share your experience and inspire people to explore more ways to well-being. As editor of the journal, you can reach out to me directly by email, jeremy at highway2.health. New submissions are accepted monthly, and the new year is always a great time for helping people make fresh starts. So Dr. Judson Brandeis is here to speak with me today about his new book, 21st Century Man. He's brought together close to 60 men's health experts to write about everything from physical health to mental and emotional well-being to relationships and some of the more challenging things that men struggle with health-wise as they age, from erectile dysfunction to sleep challenges. Just a word of warning in advance, uh, being that Judson is a urologist, we're going to be talking about the penis a fair amount here, but I think you'll find it quite interesting regardless of your gender. I certainly learned quite a few things that I had never even considered before especially how challenges down there could be indicators of other underlying health issues. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Judson Brandeis. Did you have any any idea that you were going to write a 850-page book when you set out? No, you know, this was my COVID project. So I had to close my office for two, three months. Oh, is that right? And I'm one of those people that just can't keep still. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> and, uh, and it also, you know, it, it became sort of a mission. I, I see so many men who in their 40s or 50s or 60s basically just hit the wall. Yeah. Yep. You know, the vitality of youth basically gives out. You can't compensate for the damage that you've done to your body anymore. Yep. Yep. And you come in either with erectile dysfunction, low testosterone, obesity, sarcopenia, you know, yep. muscle wasting, or, or just kind of an overall malaise yep. about life. And that's that's kind of what I was interested in. I mean, I'm, I, I think what, what you presented here in the book is kind of an amazing, like, overview of so many different things. I mean, you get into, like sleep and relationships and, you know, addictions to various things and, and mindfulness practices. I think that's that stuff that the, the entry point I can imagine as a urologist is that when we're having trouble down there, <laughs> that, that, that really wakes men up. That's like, it's like the first, the first time in their lives that that often, I think, wakes people up. Whereas women have to deal with this from, you know, the, point, the teenage years, really kind of understanding their bodies. All of a sudden, men start having problems there and it wakes them up. And as you talk about in the book, there's so many different underlying, you know, things that could be going on when there's problems down there. Exactly. And I think part of the reason that I wrote the book the way that I did is that I see men's health through the lens of erectile function. Huh. Uh, and so, for example, men that have trouble sleeping, 
don't get nighttime erections. So there's a huge correlation between sleep apnea and erectile dysfunction. So the other day I had a 42-year-old man come in, otherwise pretty healthy, but he had a long history of sleep apnea. And because he's not getting REM sleep, right. he's not getting nighttime erections. Right. So explain that. You, you did a good job in the book of that, if, if just kind of briefly, why we get them in the first place. Yeah. You know, nighttime erections is really a critically important um, metric for men to keep an eye on. So when you're 20 years old, of course, every morning you wake up with a, a full erection. Right. And, and sometime in your 30s, maybe your early 40s, that doesn't happen quite as often. And there's a reason for that. The reason is that your testosterone starts to go down a little bit and you live in America and you eat an American diet. Yeah. And so your pipes start to get clogged a little bit. Yep. And so things aren't working quite as well. And mother nature created nighttime erections for the penis to get healthy, right? So if you've ever yeah. seen the TV show, Naked and Afraid, Right. It's one of my favorite shows, <laughs> it's right? It's a great show. It's like a like a hot guy and a hot girl get dumped in the middle of the the desert. I mean, or the or wherever uh, or the jungle, jungle with or... a you know with a machete and a and a fire starter and a and a pot to boil water. And in all of the episodes I've ever seen, I've never seen these two people hook up. Oh, interesting. Right? Even though they're alone in the jungle, <laughs> yeah, you know, no one's around. They're both naked but they don't have sex, right? Because they spend all their time trying to figure out what to eat yeah. and shelter and swatting insects and keeping away from danger. And so the only time that they would have sex is for the purposes of procreation. Yeah. And that's, right. it's, it's interesting that that safety element too, because I, I'm, I'm a craniosacral therapist by, by trade. I do, I've done a lot of work in functional movements and all sorts of kind of manual therapy, a lot of physical therapy related work. And you know, the one thing that's going on with a lot of people when they're having all sorts of problems is that their autonomic system is just way out of whack too. Exactly. Right? So, so if we, you know, in terms of safety, like we can't really get to that place if we don't feel relaxed enough. That's one of the of things course. that people don't realize. So that parasympathetic response needs to come up just enough. And so, yeah, it's super interesting that you Yeah, exactly. That. You understand it perfectly. And, you know, the 21st century man has a whole section on sympathetic versus parasympathetic yeah. nervous system. Yeah. You know, and a chapter on anxiety, yeah. right? Anxiety, you know, when people talk about psychological issues causing erectile dysfunction, you know, a lot of people think, well, it's because I'm crazy or this or that, but it's that's not the case. Yeah. I, I talk in the book about the underlying chemical uh, response that your body has to stress. Yeah. You know, I, I tell my patients, nobody ever has an erection when they're running away from a tiger. <laughs> right? It gives the tiger something to bite onto, right? Right, right. And so that's the issue is your body is producing epinephrine or adrenaline, and that's bringing blood away from non-essential structures like yeah. the penis. Yeah. And so, but we only have evolved to have one system. We don't have a separate system for trouble with your spouse and a separate system for trouble at work and a separate system for you know running away from a tiger. That's all the same hormonal milieu, yeah. which is the sympathetic nervous system. But erectile function happens much better in the parasympathetic nervous system. Exactly. So you know, once a guy understands that, then they can begin the process of sort of self-soothing or relaxation or whatever you want to call it that allows them to get into that headspace that's much better for erectile function. Yeah. And, and if anyone's interested, I've actually done three short episodes on 
the on, on just on the uh, on the autonomic nervous system and how to balance it in another episode on the um, on, on the gut too and as as it relates to that system and and you know I, I think that's another important part of for people to understand is what happens with the enteric system as it relates to the autonomics too so if anyone's Absolutely. interested go back go back and find some of those they're short they're like two minute episodes but it kind of gives people a, a background I, and I use that as a teaching tool a lot just because I feel like when people understand that balance and all the different hormonal regulations and things that go on from that autonomic response, then they can start kind of putting together a plan for themselves a little better too. Absolutely. It was so funny. Um, my family and I visited China and we went to a school in China. What city? It's uh, Xi'an. Okay. That's where the terracotta warriors are. Oh yeah, yeah. And and in the school, they they were showing off to us this kind of self-soothing video game that they have. And it's basically just a heart rate monitor. Huh. And so my, my, my son and my middle daughter, they, they, they sat them down and they're a little competitive with each other already. Right? How, how old are they? And uh, at that time, I think my daughter was 13 and my son was 11. Okay. Right. And my, my middle daughter is more calm than my son. My son's a little, uh, a little uh, hyper. Right. Okay. And yep. so um, the, the tree, you know, it was like basically the, the lower your heart rate, the bigger the tree. Okay. And so the, my daughter's tree started to grow and my son's tree started to shrink based on their heart rate. <laughs> and so then my, my middle daughter's tree kept growing and she was happy and, you know, heart rate was going down. And my son was like pissed off that his tree was shrinking and, his, and my, <laughs> my uh, middle daughter's tree was growing. And so his tree was shrinking even more until he figured out what the game was. Ah. And then he began to sort of self-soothe and relax. And then all of a sudden his tree stopped shrinking and started growing. And then my middle daughter looked over and saw that my son's tree was growing and she started to get upset that, yeah. you know, his tree was growing and her, you know, catching up to her. And so then as she started getting upset, her tree started to shrink. And then my son saw that her tree was shrinking and his tree started to grow even faster. And then she saw that his tree was growing faster and she got even more upset and her tree started shrinking. Yeah. And so, you know, that's just a great uh, example of how you can self-soothe or be in the moment or be mindful. Uh, and there's a lot of that stuff in the book. Um, you know, the really interesting thing is there have been a couple other men's health books that have been written, not nearly the scope of the, the, the book that I wrote uh, and probably a quarter of the length, but they're missing a really, really point. Okay. And this comes from the, the Harvard longevity study. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, that, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's, they've been going on for 75 years I know, it's now amazing. and they followed, you know, these men that went to Harvard and um, kids that were in Southie, which is kind of the, the lousy part of Boston. Yep. And they followed their kids and their kids, kids, and really the main conclusion from that study is that the quality of your relationships and the quality of your mental health has the most important impact on your overall health and happiness in life. Yeah. Yeah. And the 21st century man has, you know, top psychologists and therapists and academics and private practice guys talking about work-life balance, about vitality about depression, about anxiety, about fatherhood, about all the relationship 
aspects and mental health aspects of life because that is so critically important. It's almost more important or maybe more important than exercise and the food that we eat right. in terms of in terms of our overall sort of happiness in life. Yeah. How, how did you get all these people involved in the project? You know, uh, I went to Brown, I went to Vanderbilt, I went to, I did research at Harvard, I went to uh, UCLA, I've yeah. been in private practice in a really nice community, and I just generated a lot of colleagues. Yeah. And I just tapped into those. I'm not one of those people that thinks that they know everything about everything. No, I'm, I'm the same. That's that's what my project here is too. So yeah. I was just interested. I had a feeling you must have known most of these people. Yeah, and so, and then even some like... Um, that I didn't know, like we were writing the chapter on stretching, mm-hmm. you know, Johnny Jackson and I, he's the, the head trainer for Crunch Gym. And I started to write a little bit about yoga. And I said, you know, yoga is such an important thing to know about. I need to find someone who uh, knows more about me than yoga. And so I just Google search and, and up pop Manflow Yoga, Dean Pullman. He's the top yoga for men specialist in the, in the country. And I just cold called him and, and told him about the project. And he was like, yeah, I'm in. You That's know, this cool. is great. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that I've, you know, working with people for as long as I have now, I've been in practice about 25 years. And and in terms of in terms of movement and in terms of, you know, basically after about your mid-20s, the body starts to stiffen up a lot more. So trying to shift people's mentality towards mobility rather than just strength. Like strength is actually not that hard. And I, I, I this is something that's really hard to get through to men, I find, because they're so used to like working out with their old football, you know, high school football workout right. in their 40s still. And I'm like, you know, your 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 body lacks any sort of mobility. You're not your your you know the dominant patterning you have is just not really. It's it's working against your posture and your spine. It's working against all sorts of things. So really getting them focused on how to kind of warm up and and mobilize their body before they do any kind of work like that. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've become kind of a an expert in building muscle in men over the age of fifty, mm. and I have a case series of men now that's just absolutely astonishing. Yeah. So I have a case series of men in their 60s, between 60 and 70. Yep. In a period of five, four to five months, I've put on five or 10 pounds of muscle yep. and taken off 10 to 20 pounds of fat yep. in men in their mid-60s. Yeah, it just goes to show that that's, that, that's something that, that we can do. I mean, you know, diet is, a, is an important part to consider and, and what kind of nutrient you know, you're putting in if you're gonna start you know, trying to put on that, <laughs> that kind of muscle. But the, just the fact that men can men can do it, and w- even into their seventies, you know, I see it. I see a lot of men who are able to really sort of change their whole physique in that in that time period. Just just basically understanding the 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 mechanics of kind of getting back to working out again and kind of taking them through a you know safe process for those first couple months, and then once they start feeling good, it's amazing just to watch their the body respond. Yeah, well, I, you know, I have a basically a twelve step process. Uh, and I'm, it's in the book and I'm happy to go through yeah, it with you yeah. if you want. Well, I, uh, so, well I, I'd love, you know what I'd really like to get into with you? I mean, I think that's another part of, of what most people are going to be interested in. But given your, given your background and, and the entry point through urology that, that, and I, and I just see it in my, in my practice and I hear about it a lot because it's one of the first things that, that ends up getting people involved is problems with their prostate, ED issues. And and it's and it really starts somewhere around fifty for most people. I mean, it's, right. <laughs> as 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 much as we like to think we're doing all we can not to sort of you know to slow our aging process, but I've seen it even with people who are who seem pretty healthy. So, 
if, if you can kind of maybe talk about uh, just just to start out with here, and we can maybe veer off as we go along, but kind of how you how you try to get people to to start scheduling out those things and what's important from that you know from that point in in, in their like say mid mid forties to to early fifties. Sure, really, there are really three separate issues. One issue is hormonal, mm-hmm. so um, testosterone. Yeah. And testosterone does a number of things. It's not just libido. Right. Testosterone's a growth factor. And so it helps men build muscle. And there's a direct and correlation between testosterone levels and level of muscle, muscle bulk, muscle mass. It also helps men lose fat. It helps with mood. So if your testosterone's low, you're much more likely to be depressed or yep. grumpy. Yep. It helps with um, concentration. You know, really everything that happens in puberty in terms of building muscle, getting rid of fat, um, libido, uh, drive, not just sexual drive, but, you know, overall life drive uh, is related to testosterone. And so as testosterone drops, um, then uh, all those things in life decline. And so I've had a tremendous success replacing testosterone in men in their 60s and 70s and sort of giving them a second chance at life. What, what, uh, is, at what is that process like, or what do you use, and are there, are there natural things that we can do to promote that process? Sure. So the one natural thing that you can do is use something called DHEA. Yeah. DHEA is a testosterone precursor. So I have a, a supplement company called Affirm Science, and we have a supplement called Support. And support is DHEA, which in men with low testosterone has been shown to boost testosterone about 14%. Okay. But the problem is a lot of men are either overweight or they take something like DHEA and it aromatizes the testosterone, which means that testosterone and estrogen are almost exactly the same molecule. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy for your body to flip testosterone into estrogen. Okay. And so there's another supplement called DIM which blocks the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. Okay. It's a natural, there's something called the nastrozole, which some people take that does the same thing. But estrogen's important in men. You know, most men don't understand that you have both testosterone and estrogen, men and women, and, but the ratios of estrogen and testosterone are different. Mm-hmm. And so you want to block the conversion of testosterone to estrogen. Uh, and then support also has two botanicals, Tonkat Ali and Ashwagandha, which have both been shown to boost testosterone levels. So the, really the most you can hope for is from a, a supplement like support, which will give you 15 or 20%. Okay. Now, if you have a testosterone of 200, 15 or 20% is just going to get you to 250, which is still going to be hypogonadal, right? Or low testosterone. Okay. Now, the other part of it is your symptomology. Right. I have plenty of patients with a testosterone 200 that are perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And so there's no reason to replace testosterone gotcha. in those guys. But if you have a testosterone anywhere from two to 400 and you have symptoms of you know, depression or mood issues, low muscle mass, uh, difficulty getting off weight, low libido, then you're really a great candidate for testosterone replacement. Okay. And so testosterone replacement, you can't take as a pill okay. right? because your liver metabolizes testosterone. So it doesn't get into the blood and even there's an increased incidence of liver cancer. And so you have to get it directly into the bloodstream. So you can either do that through creams or through shots or through pellets. Okay. Uh, And so the problem with creams is that testosterone is a big molecule. 
And it's hard to get big molecules through the skin. You know, H2O, water is a small molecule, but when you jump into a swimming pool, you don't become waterlogged. Right. Right. Because your body keeps the H2O out. And so testosterone is 100 times the size of H2O, and it's really hard to get high levels into your bloodstream. Okay. And so you can either do that through shots, which are a less expensive option, but it's a synthetic testosterone. It's called testosterone cypionate. Okay. And you get peaks and troughs. So a day after you inject yourself, your testosterone's really high, and the day before you inject yourself, your testosterone's really low. Another option is uh, bio-T pellets, which are a human identical testosterone. So it's exactly the same testosterone that your body makes. And it's about once every four to six months, you get uh, these little pellets placed in your flank. And it goes up to about a thousand. I try to get my patients up to around a thousand and it lasts at that level for about four to six months. So there's not that variability. Right, and then it slowly Uh, declines. Yeah, and you know, when I was doing general urology, I would have looked at someone who was saying, get their testosterone up to a thousand, like they were crazy. Mm. Oh, you don't want to do that. You know, there's, it's really dangerous. And, but you know what? That's what you need to do. And that's when a light bulb goes off in these men and they do so much better. Their energy improves. They get to the gym, they lose fat, they build muscle, they have libido. uh, And it's really not dangerous. The, The side effects of testosterone are, if you have aggressive prostate cancer, then you shouldn't be on testosterone. Okay. Okay. If you have a really, really big prostate and you have trouble urinating, you should get that taken care of before you get on testosterone. Gotcha. You know, if you uh, have a full head of hair and you want to keep it, then you should either not be on testosterone or you can take a medication like finasteride to block the conversion of testosterone to DHT, and DHT is what causes hair loss. Yeah, and you, and you, you go into that in the book too. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, if you're a younger man and you still want to have kids, then fertility is an issue because taking testosterone shuts down the production of sperm. Yeah. Um, but if, and then understand that if you're on testosterone for five or 10 years, your body's going to stop making it. And so then you're kind of stuck being on testosterone for the rest of your life. But, you know, if your testosterone is 250 or 300 and it's only going to go down from there, then, uh, I, you know, it's really, uh, medications can be 80% effective, 90% effective. Testosterone is 100% effective. Yeah. It works in everyone. Yeah. So how do you, how, what's, the, what's the process for getting tested for this stuff? And, and is, is it usually covered or do, you, do they need a referral from their urologist or, or MD? Yeah, you know, it, it, so the, the process is just to get a free and total testosterone checked uh, and you should check it in the morning, right? Yeah. So the testosterone peaks in the morning. Okay. It's lower by three or four o'clock in the afternoon. So if you check in the afternoon, it's naturally going to be low. Gotcha. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's a simple blood test. Okay. Yeah, people should definitely get on that. I've 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 known a few people who have really seen improvements, especially people who have been suffering with with depression, and and oddly enough, even anxiety. Somehow, I think it's just like it because because of the you know when we're looking at the energetic process in the body when we're kind of you know in that depleted state, it's just hard to to manage a lot of things, and so the body doesn't process as well, which I think leads to some anxieties and stuff too. Absolutely, you know, so there. The, there's an amazing chapter in anxiety in the 21st century man. You know, even as a physician, yeah. I really didn't know very much at all about anxiety. Yeah. And uh, Brett McLaughlin, he's the the dean of psychology at Cal North State University. And 
Uh, he does an amazing job talking about anxiety, yeah, even just understanding really what anxiety is. Right, right. Can make a big difference in terms of 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 your anxiety. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm I'm fearful. I have a fearful reaction about something that I have no control over that may or may not happen. You know, why am I doing this? It's it's sort of back to the mindfulness chapter in the book. It's just understanding. And and reading your own thoughts in real time, that yeah. allows you to begin the process of making that change. Yeah, yeah. So so what what are the other two things that you yeah yeah okay so erectile function yeah yeah absolutely this is one of my favorite things to talk about I love talking about <laughs> erectile function I've seen I've seen yeah, you on so, Instagram talking about it so clearly you, you get very energized oh yeah this yeah topic. absolutely absolutely <laughs> and you know the thing is guys love to talk about it but they don't like to. They they like to talk about it in a certain way, right? Right. So when they when they Bring see that humor actually, involved, right? Yeah, that humor. But you know, for a lot of guys, it's kind of this nervous humor. Oh and, yeah. And, you know, in my office, we're totally non-judgmental. This is a physiologic process. Yep. You know, for example, say you're at work, right? You're in your little cubicle, and you have to take your father to the cardiologist. And so you announce to everyone in the office, oh, you know, I got to take my dad to the cardiologist. And everyone's like, oh, you know, congratulations. You're such a good son. You know, I I hope everything works out well. Right. But then imagine the next day you're announced to everyone. Listen, guys, uh, I got to take my dad to the urologist. You know, he's really having a lot of problems with erections. (laughs) People are going to look at you funny, but you know what? It's the exact same process. It's atherosclerotic disease of blood vessels, but they're just different blood vessels. Yep. Right, so you know, it, there's no shame in erectile dysfunction. It's a physiologic process, and in fact, you, you got to keep your eyes open because erectile dysfunction happens five to ten years before cardiovascular disease yeah. because the blood vessels to the penis are one or two millimeters, and right. they're at the periphery. The blood vessels to the heart are three to four millimeters, yeah. and your heart is the first thing to get blood. So when you begin to lose those nighttime erections something's happening in your peripheral circulation that shouldn't be happening, right? And then, but, you know, most of us can compensate for that and have normal erections. But when you begin to lose erectile function, that's a sign that things are really starting to accelerate in terms of atherosclerotic disease, Gotcha. right? And so I have a whole algorithm that I built, which includes a nitric oxide booster. So my supplement company, Affirm Science, also has a nitric oxide boosting supplement called Affirm. And when I was at UCLA, my professors won the Nobel Prize for discovering the role of nitric oxide. And they also wrote the definitive paper on Viagra, how Viagra works. And so nitric oxide is an amazing molecule. It won the molecule of the year in 1998. And what it does is it helps boost circulation. And it helps boost circulation everywhere in your body, whether it's in your brain, which gives you increased cognition. Mm-hmm. Uh, athletes, endurance athletes take nitric oxide boosters to improve uh, performance. Uh, it improves uh, immune, uh, immune response. You know, it's really important even during COVID to take uh, a nitric oxide booster because COVID is a vasculitis. Right. It generates an, a, an immune response in blood vessels and causes blood vessels to get clogged. Unfortunately, our public health folks haven't really explained to the public what exactly uh, COVID actually is or does. I have a, a bunch of videos on my YouTube channel that really explain the pathogenesis of COVID and what yeah. to do 
if you get COVID, but we don't want to talk about that for whatever strange reason. But it's too it's, controversial. But, no, but it's, I, I don't think it should be controversial because just as, you know, we don't like to talk about erectile dysfunction, we don't like to talk about this now because it's become a politicized issue, but really it's a phys- physiological thing that we want to understand better. I, I'm always digging into PubMed stuff just to try to get, you yeah, know, yeah. some... So some, in, in, a, in, a, in a super nutshell, if you get COVID, take an aspirin a day. Take a nitric oxide booster with three grams of L-citrulline every day. Take vitamin D, at least 2,000 international units. Drink an eight-ounce glass of water every hour. Do deep breathing exercises every hour. And do toe raises every hour. Toe mm. raises because yeah, you can get pulmonary, because you can get deep venous thrombosis. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Because 70% of your blood volume lives in the legs. And if you're just sitting there, it's going to clot. Because COVID causes an inflammation in blood vessels that causes a vasculitis that causes thrombosis or clots in the leg. If that clot in the leg goes up to your heart, just like that 41-year-old congressman that died from pulmonary embolus and a heart attack, right? Drink a lot of water so that you dilute your blood so that you don't form those clots. Do deep, deep breathing exercises so you keep the blood moving in your lungs so you don't get those little pulmonary emboluses and I, I would even, yeah, in I, your blood. Yeah, I would even say during during this COVID during the pandemic period, you know the 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 you know the people getting less exercise or moving less or getting you know kind of stuck in that seated, oh, yeah. seated position for so such a long period of time and what that does arterially to the blood flow back up. I think this these are all things that we should do regardless. Right now, absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, so anyway, we're in our 30s and 40s. Our our nighttime erections are going down. Then in your 40s or 50s, you know, the Massachusetts male aging studies show that 40% of the men in their 40s have erectile dysfunction in some Mm -hmm. degree. 50% of men in their 50s, 60% of men in their 60s, 70% of men in their 70s. So, you know, majority of men over 50 have some degree of erectile dysfunction. This is not like a, a rare a rare bird. Yeah. Okay, and understanding that it it's a a precursor to heart disease is also really critically important because it tells you, you know, I need to make some changes in my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I need to start to exercise. The American Heart Association recommends 40 minutes of cardiovascular exercise four times a week. Yeah. Right. And every man should be doing that. Also stretching. So in my, in my, in my uh, physical rejuvenation protocol, 10 to 15 minutes of stretching every morning makes a huge difference in terms of your overall health and flexibility. Yeah. And and one of the things I recommend, and people can maybe look this up, uh, you know, just find on YouTube, but through through the functional medicine, through the functional movement model, a lot of what we try to get people to do is active flexibility to to warm things up. So active flexibility is almost kind of like yoga vinyasa. It's basically taking, you know, because we stretch tendons. That's one thing that people need to understand too, is that it's really that tendon attachment to the bone that's like this dense rubber band that needs that's not vascular. So it needs it needs to have the kind of blood pumping around it to warm it up to make it pliable. So to to kind of do that, you know, uh, these kinds of movements to warm things up, you know, and there's a lot of things, especially with the you know anything. That it attaches to the pelvis and you know so all of your leg muscles your hip flexors even even you know lower back muscles and lats all attached to the pelvis so anything you can do to kind of help mobilize that basically just frees the structure up and then when you actually do cardio or you know do weight training you you feel like you've got a little bit more range to all the joints too and that means you're going to get more muscle engagement around it absolutely i totally agree with you and it's not just with exercise right uh there's a chapter that we wrote called 
basically stupid things that men do to get themselves into the emergency room. Yeah, and it's written by, yeah, it's I written thought by it was a, really uh, interesting. Yeah, it's written by an emergency room physician, right? Who, you know, has kind of seen it all. And thousands and thousands and thousands of men every year come into the emergency room because of falls. Yeah. Right. You fall off a ladder, you fall off a roof, yeah. you know, you're putting up something on the Christmas tree or, or cleaning out the gutters and you fall, it's going to ruin your life. Yeah. You break a, uh, you know, your your fracture your back or fracture your pelvis, uh, you know, it's a three or four month uh, recovery. You're going to lose your job. Maybe you'll get addicted to opioids. It, it's a life changing event, yeah. and you don't get a second chance for yeah. those kind of things. And part of the reason is that men don't understand that after physio- after fifty, your physiology changes. Yeah. Like I don't care if you don't think that it changes. It it does change. Yeah. And your tendons and ligaments don't work the same way that they used to because they desiccate, they dry out. Yeah. You lose that flexibility. And so, yeah, stretching will help you when you work out, but say you don't work out. Stretching and flexibility will help you compensate for that loss of balance when you're up on a ladder yeah. or when you're reaching for something or who knows so that you don't end up tumbling and falling down the stairs or, or something bad happens, you know, that you have to start taking better care of yourself yeah. when you're in your 40s or 50s or bad things will happen. And the 21st century man really is built around prevention and early intervention and how to find a good doctor if you have a problem, right? We're not there to tell you what to do to avoid going to the doctor because the book is written by 60 doctors. We yeah. want you to come to see us if you have a problem, but we don't want you to come to see if you if you can avoid a problem. And there's a whole section on health insurance. So yeah, yeah understand health insurance. Because the thing is, right, men don't even know where our insurance cards are. I have men, yeah. you know, these guys are really smart guys. I have, uh, I'm in the Northern California area. So I have patients from Apple, Google, Facebook, Lawrence Livermore Lab, Oracle, you know, really, really smart guys. And I ask them, you know, do you have an HMO or PPO? They have no idea. And they don't even know. Yeah. I said, well, let me get your, let me take a look at your health insurance card. I'll show you where it is. Oh, I don't know where it is, you know, because I don't take insurance. Yeah. So they don't even know where the health insurance card is, right? So men see the doctor half as much as women, yeah. right? That's just a fact. And the, uh, the reason for that is women have babies. So they're already tied in with their gynecologist. And also, for the most part, women take the kids to the pediatrician. So they actually have to know where the health insurance card is. And, and Men they don't go to the doctors till they're forty or fifty or sixty, and something breaks. I know that's that, that, that's what I see. And the women also take care of their aging parents more, so they're so familiar with the system. And I think that that's one of the things I appreciate about the book is like it's it's almost kind of like getting men comfortable with who these people are and what their role is, and how how you can be you know how you can be resourced. Exactly, and I try to build personality into all the chapters and into all the books. So like every chapter has a quote. You know, that of for someone from our generation, whether it's, you know, Woody Allen or George Steinbrenner or Robin Williams or, you know, it's something to kind of bring a little bit of levity. I don't want to, I don't want it to be like a, like a really stern. Right. Um, Serious. Um, but also, okay, so getting back to the sexual medicine. So the, the first chapter I wrote in the sexual medicine section is called Sex on the Beach. Yeah. And it's kind of like one of those, um, like if you uh, back in the day read Playboy magazine, you know, for the articles, the, the, you, would, you would have the, one the of those stories of like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking yeah. about. Like I was just walking down the street one day, minding my own business. And then, you know, 
a series of events that happen. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so it's a, it's a it's very unlikely of, story, of course, but it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's, but I, I like the humor of it. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, it, it's, it's one of those stories, but then I, I slip in every once in a while and explain the physiology of what goes on when things go right. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. And then the same character in the next chapter is uh, erectile dysfunction explained. And now he's 50, you know, it's 50th birthday. Mm-hmm. He's married. He's got three kids. He's got a job that requires him to travel a lot. He's got sick parents. He's got sick in-laws, you know, all the, the stress of life. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's put on weight, he's lost muscle and he goes out on this uh, 50th birthday par- uh, trip with his wife to Cancun and all of a sudden he can't get an erection. Yeah. Okay. And then it explains everything about how, why things go wrong and how things go wrong. And then the following chapters are about orgasm, delayed orgasm, premature orgasm, and just orgasm in general. And then finally, it's the chapter of how I evaluate patients, not just uh, for erectile function, but you have to evaluate the entire scope of a man's physical, mental, emotional health in order to properly assess their sexual health. Yeah. And then all of the, the things that I do, because I'm really interested in regenerative therapies for erectile dysfunction. Okay. You know, taking a nitric oxide booster, taking a, a pill like Viagra or Cialis, those are temporary. Yeah. yeah. But what can we do to help regenerate erectile function? And, and that goes with food and exercise and those kind of things, but also there are a whole series of technologies now like low-intensity shockwave therapy that regenerate blood vessels and platelet-rich plasma and stem cells Mm -hmm. that regenerate blood vessels. And so Charles Runnels, uh, who developed the P-shot and the O-shot and the vampire facelift using platelet-rich plasma, wrote the chapter on PRP. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jeff Piccarillo, who's a a regenerative orthopedist, wrote the chapter on stem cells. Amazing, amazing chapter on stem cells. Totally comprehensive, but it really allows people to understand what stem cells are because the FDA just shut stem cells down because people are out there advertising stem cells can do everything under the sun. And most people have no idea what stem cells are. They just think they hear the word and they think, Oh, stem cells going to fix all my problems. Yeah. You got to understand what they are. And this, the chapter in 21st century man is spectacular in terms of giving a lay person a really truly scientific understanding of what these things are. And, and how they, you know, how they may be used in the future of medicine as well. Exactly, exactly. So what, and so the, the, is the other thing that you uh, address, you know, as one of the other three things is that, is that prostate issues then? Prostate issues, oh yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, so there are really three things that can happen to the prostate. It can grow, it can become cancerous, or it can become infected. And, and at what point do you start seeing changes with the prostate? It's different than, than, than ED, I imagine. Yeah, so prostatitis or prostate infection really can occur at any time. Yeah. Uh, when you're younger, it's more related to a sexually transmitted disease. When you're oh, older, okay. it's it typically related to urinary tract infections and usually related to uh, an enlarged prostate. Yeah. Right, and so let me dip into prostate cancer first. Uh, and so typically, the, the two folks the two, two groups of people that are at higher risk for prostate cancer, one are African-American males and two are people with a family history of prostate cancer. 
And so if you're in those two groups, you need to be a little bit more concerned about the possibility of prostate cancer. And there's a blood test called the PSA, which most of us have now heard of, that um, will give you a rough estimate of risk for prostate cancer. It's not definitive risk. It gives you a rough estimate of risk. And so one of the things that I, I say in the chapter, which I can say because I'm a private practice urologist and I've always been sort of on the forefront of technology. So for example... Uh, with robotic technology, I was a pioneer uh, of robotic prostatectomy. My hospital had the second Da Vinci robot in the country. Oh, wow. Uh, I pioneered uh, MRI-guided prostate biopsies and, and using MRIs to diagnose prostate cancer. And so I can say as a private practice urologist that you should not have a prostate biopsy by a urologist until you get an MRI of the prostate. Okay, yeah, that's good to know. Right, and and the... The AUA, the American Urologic Association, is edging closer and closer to saying that definitively. But for them to say it, they need a lot of data. And also, it's a question of access, right? Mm-hmm. Not everyone has access to an MRI machine, uh, a three Tesla, a multi-parametric MRI machine that you can use to diagnose prostate cancer. So they can't say it, but I can say it because yeah. I'm a private practice guy. I don't have a university or someone yep. telling me that I, I can't say yep. it. And I've been saying it for five or six years. Uh, yeah, I've seen when I was doing prostate biopsies without the MRI, my biopsy positivity rate was about 33%. So one third of guys uh, where I did a prostate biopsy will ended up having prostate cancer, hmm. right? And that was pretty standard. You know, everyone was around that same number. Okay, now with an MRI guided prostate biopsy, first of all, I'm not biopsying guys that don't need a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And then my biopsies are much more accurate. So I went from 33% to 85%. Wow. Right? You imagine a baseball player, I'm hitting 333. Yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden, I, you know, there's a new technology, maybe a pair of glasses or something like that, so I can see the ball better. Now I'm hitting 850. You're right. That's crazy. Right? I mean, any of your listeners that are out there who are considering getting a prostate biopsy, you better make sure that you get an MRI first. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you get, like I had a patient the other day, he had a huge prostate, right? And he was being seen at Kaiser. I'm not begrudging Kaiser at all. Right, you know? right. He was just being seen at Kaiser. And he had a really big prostate. Because he had a really big prostate, he had elevated PSA. Yeah. Right? They had already biopsied prostate three times. But a prostate biopsy is really an uncomfortable procedure. They stick an ultrasound probe up your butt. Yeah. And they put a long, thin needle through the rectal mucosa 10 or 12 times. Yeah. Right. It's not a day at Disneyland. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, uh, I, with my three daughters and son, I've been to my share of princess fairs and I might actually choose a prostate biopsy over a princess <laughs> fair. <laughs> okay. But let's say all things being equal, yep. you don't want to do a prostate biopsy. Right. So I told my, I told this patient, I said, you got to go and get an MRI. And his Kaiser urologist told him no. And I said, a prostate MRI, where I order them are eight, 900 bucks. I'll call up there. I'll order it. And he said, you know, I just want to pay cash. I don't want to ever go. It's a, I would gladly pay a thousand bucks to avoid another prostate biopsy. Right. Right. So he comes back. His prostate is 188 cubic centimeters. Right. Normal prostate, 25 cubic centimeters. Wow. So his prostate's almost <laughs> eight times normal size. So his, what we call PSA density so the amount of prostate tissue per PS, you know, PSA per prostate tissue yeah. is well within normal range. 
right? And so now he's got a, now we're working on getting Kaiser to do the, the operation that he needs for his prostate for an enlarged prostate, not for prostate cancer. Yeah. Right. But if Kaiser would have kept biopsying him over and over and over and over and over again, saying, God, there's got to be some prostate cancer in here somewhere. But all he needed was an MRI to see that his prostate was enormous. Stay away from the biopsy because a couple percent of patients that have prostate biopsies end up in sepsis in the hospital. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of people almost die yeah. from a prostate biopsy. It's not a trivial procedure. And, and, and you know, you're, you're, you're basically aggravating tissue, can have scarring and all these different yeah, things that cause course. other problems down the road. So, Exactly. So uh, that's, you know, that in the, my prostate chapter, that's one of the main, uh, the main things that I, I talk about, one of the key findings. A lot of the chapters have kind of key findings. But the, in the 21st Century Man, this is a book written for men. It's not one of these like 300 page books. When you finish it, you're like, God, that, that could have been said in about five pages. Right. In fact, I would pay the same amount of money for the information and you wouldn't have wasted 10 hours of my time by making me read 300 pages to get five pages of information. Yeah. Like this is 910 pages of information. And that's the least number of pages <laughs> that you can make that you like my yeah. prostate chapter is 10 or 12 pages. I forget exactly, yeah, yeah. but I cover prostatitis. I cover prostate cancer. I cover BPH. I cover PSA. I mean, every word in that chapter means something Yeah, like I'm very respectful to my, my patient, uh, you know, my, my customers, my readers, my patient's time. I don't waste your time. Yeah, It's like a cliff notes version of what you need to know. Yeah. And then, you know, on our website, we're going to have resources of other sources of information if you want to delve in deeper. But this is my opinion as a urologist who's been in practice for 25 years, who's won the top urologist in the San Francisco Bay Area for the past eight years. You know, I, I have a lot of experience. I know a lot of stuff. I've been to a lot of fancy institutions. I've been trained by the best people in the country. And I'm, I'm synthesizing and, and bringing it all down for you. Yeah. I was just talking right. to a and, surgeon recently about how there is, a, there is this mark right around the 20-year point where we've we've seen a we've seen a certain number of things and you know what most of what we're doing day to day is actually you know looking at patterns and seeing you know have i seen this before does this fall outside of the, of what i've seen before and kind of you know being able to kind of correlate all that information and so you know it makes sense at this point in your career also to like be be delivering this back especially during a time period where technology has been such a huge part of of medicine Absolutely. Well, you know, but the interesting thing is, and it's a sort of part of my mission also, is to bring doctors back into the dialogue over medicine, right? Because there's, first of all, there's a proliferation of information, right? So anyone that's smart can go online and look up a bunch of stuff and, and claim that they're sort of an expert in yeah. stuff. But you and I both know from treating patients that there's something that's intangible. There's an intuition yeah. that you generate yeah, absolutely. Over time, yeah. that that is the difference between someone who's book smart and who has that wisdom. You know, I could I could be in a flight simulator for hours and hours and hours and hours and read about airplanes, but don't put me up in an airplane because you know if there's a storm or something like that, and you yeah. haven't seen a storm before, you don't have the intuition of knowing where to fly. You're going to be in big trouble. Yeah, yeah. And so there are a lot of people that are out there talking about health that really don't have that that experience that, you know, that 10,000 hours of being in the trenches 
get you. Uh, at least, right? I mean, I, I'm now I kind of think it's more like 20. When, when, yeah, it, when, 20, when, it gets, when it gets to this stuff, you know, when it gets to that level where it, it's uh, the other, the other part of it that you go into in the book a little bit, which I think is an important part too, is, is that relationship component. And that's also something that I think you instinctively know over time, the, the development of the language, you know, how you, how you relay this information. I feel like that's one of those things that's, you know, over the years for me, I just get more and more concise with, because I don't have the time either most of the time, right? Exactly. It's like, how, how quickly can I, can I build rapport and get this information to this person and have them get on board? And what, you know, most of the time, like for, for us in, in private practice, we're only getting referrals from usually people who have already already had successful outcomes with us. So it's easier. They're kind of sold coming in the door. It's mm-hmm. not the same kind of thing that, you know, people working in institutions have to deal with on a day-to-day basis because they get a lot of people who are just like, fix my problem. I don't want to think about it. Right. So so we get people who come in re- kind of w- willing to engage a little bit more. But but I liked that you had some some moment in there that you talked about this this older guy who had been married um, later in life and was, you know, having, I think, a kid too later in life. And you had to have some hard conversations with him about, listen, you you just put your, your the, the best thing together for yourself and you're not dealing with your health. Like you're going to lose everything. And being able to have that conversation, that's something that a lot of people won't, won't do. But I, I, I really appreciated that part. Yeah, that's actually the, you know, I, I tell people, Erections are you know, half psychological and half physiological. Mm-hmm. And if you don't deal with the psychological aspects of it, the relationship, I have kind of like a Maslow's pyramid in my mind. Yeah, yeah me too. Of, if you're, you know, if you're 20 and you're having sex, that's a different, whole different dynamic. But if you're in your 50s and you're having, or 60s, and you're having a lot of physical intimacy, you've done a lot of things right in your life. So you've taken care of yourself physically. You've taken care of your relationships. You've mm-hmm. taken care of your mental health. You know, you're not on a lot of medications like blood pressure medications or those kind of things. And and that's sort of like the reward that you get for being at the at the pinnacle of that. And that's really what the the book is about. Is so I have two two flows through the book. Even though it's a long book, I wanted to kind of keep the information flow. And so one is feeling good, looking good, and having good physical intimacy, Yeah. right? For most men over 40, if you feel good and you look good and you're having good sex, you're pretty happy. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's not too much beyond that. That's right. And then the other part is most of us know, like don't drink too much, don't smoke, don't do drugs, don't get fat, exercise some, uh, do some meditation or uh, and and do some stretching, right? I mean, ninety nine point nine percent of men would say, "Yeah, I I would agree with those statements," right? Yeah. But the problem is we don't do it. Yeah. You know, forty to fifty percent of men are obese. Fifteen percent of men smoke. Twelve percent of men don't have health insurance. Fifty percent of men have high blood pressure. A hundred years ago, men used to live one year less than women. Now men live five years less than women. Yeah. And our longevity is decreasing because of alcohol, suicide, and opioids. And it's not just the living part. This is one of the things I I like to remind people of once in a while. It's like, it's sort of like COVID long haulers. They might not have died, but if you think about what happens when we start having cardiovascular issues or diabetes or whatever at at a younger age, though you can live, but the quality of that life for those last 25 years is not gonna be great. Yeah, and I was introduced to a concept the other day called health span. 
So there's lifespan, like how yeah. many years do you live? Yeah, I, I and like that. Health span. I, I like that. Yeah. You know, how many years do you have actually quality of life? Yeah. Right. And so I, I introduced a, uh, an old concept called the hero's journey, which is from a book by a guy named Joseph Campbell. Yep. Which is, and, and I really want to impress upon men that you are the hero of your own journey, right? Football players aren't heroes. You know, Tom Brady, he's got his own journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, rock and roll stars have their own journey, right? You know, Bruce Springsteen or whatever, he's got his own journey. Each one of us has our own journey. And if you see yourself as the hero of your own journey yeah. and that you can make a positive impact on yourself, on your spouse, on your family, on your job, on your community, you can be a hero, then you're less likely to make really stupid decisions. You know, you're less likely to drink too much or you're less likely to have six donuts or, yeah. you know, wh whatever it is that you do that is a coping behavior yeah. that's destructive, you're less likely to do if you see yourself as the hero. Yeah, and and back to that 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 story that you had about the guy who, you know, has all this, you know, meets his this person when he's younger and falls in love and goes through all this stuff, and then is in in his fifties, try you know tries to make something happen on vacation and it doesn't happen, because really that that that's that's only the the sexual part of the story. The other part of the story is the the vitality part of the story in terms of you know the hero's journey. Really, what 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 needed to happen for this person? What we should all be kind of thinking about as we're kind of hitting this, especially in these middle age, you know, issues that we end up dealing with. What we're dealing with, all of the stuff with our kids and our career and our aging parents, is that we we need to you know really be sort of bolstering ourselves health wise for those kinds of challenges, not just you know letting letting that stuff overwhelm us once we get to that point. We should be starting in our forties to really think about tightening up some of these you know, any of the bad habits that we have or really working on some of the interpersonal personal issues with a therapist or, you know, whatever it is, or just developing better routines for ourselves. That's the thing I'm kind of coaching a lot of times with my clients. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm glad you brought up the word therapist, right? Because there's this like stigma of like, oh, I'm, I'm damaged or I'm crazy, you know, right. I shouldn't work with a therapist. But you know what? The same way that you go to a doctor for your physical body, there's nothing wrong with going to a therapist. And I have, we have great therapists that write, write in this book. Um, you know, a marital family therapist. I have a divorce attorney writing about divorce. I have Armin Brat, who sold 2 million books on fatherhood, writing chapters about fatherhood. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a, a section uh, on, uh, written by Robert Juan Figlio, who's the president of the California Psychological Association on work-life balance. I mean, that's like the, one of the biggest struggles in my life. And I even, I wrote a little sidebar. So some of the things that are really interesting to me, um, I write little sidebars, one or two pages, and I call it the work-life work pendulum, mm -hmm. right? Work-life balance to me is a joke. Like <laughs> I've never been in yeah. perfect balance of work and life. It's right. a pendulum, right? right? Either I work too much or, you know, I'm not making enough money and, uh, and I'm spending too much time at home. It's... It's kind of one or the other, and yeah. and if hopefully I can keep that pendulum close to the middle, yeah. so it doesn't go too far out of balance. Uh, but those are issues that that all of us as men deal with, and men have taken a beating recently. You know, you got all these dirt balls like Weinstein and Epstein, and and right, right. You know, people that are are doing the wrong thing, and ninety nine percent of the men in my practice 
are really good guys that care about their family, care about their job. They're right. honest, yeah. hardworking. And I wrote this book for them. Yeah. I wrote this book to help men take better care of themselves. And there's a section, there's a chapter on working with your spouse. You know, what can your spouse do to help you? Uh, there's a, a chapter on how to work with your physician, right? Yeah. So there was a, a, stu- a, sub, a um, study by Cerner, one of the biggest electronic medical record companies. They looked at 100 million charts and found that you get 16 minutes and 14 seconds with your doctor. Right, yeah. So if you go in there and you start talking about the weather and your pet cat, you're going to walk out of there not getting the correct diagnosis, yeah. not understanding what the side effects of the medication or the treatments you're going to get. And then you get to go on the internet and who knows what you're going to get on the internet. You have to go into that doctor's visit prepared. Like you're, you want to educate your doctor about you because your doctor, you know, I have 5,000 patients. So how am I going to know the details of all 5,000 patients? Right. Right. So I would recommend you go in there with a, a medical history a list of medications, a list of labs, a list of imaging studies, information about why you're there. So you could say, listen, you know, my back hurts. Well, my back started hurting two weeks ago and it hurts more on the right than the left and it goes down my leg and it started out, it was a pain score of 10, now it's a pain score of five and I've been taking ibuprofen and I'm trying to avoid taking Vicodin, but I took a couple Vicodin because there was one night I couldn't get a comfortable position and there are a lot of people in my family that have back problems. You could provide all of that information in a piece of paper and then the doctor will read that piece of paper. When I do in my office, I have a dictaphone. I just dictate everything into the system, yeah. right? And then give me a list of questions. And within three or four minutes, I've kind of summarized in a really good way your history and why you're there. And guess what? You got... 12 minutes of my time now to talk about you and answer your questions and examine you. And that's the way to make the best use of your doctor's time. Now I'm in a different practice, right? I didn't want to be on the treadmill where I had 16 minutes for every patient. And so I don't take insurance. I spend an hour with all of my patients when they first come in to see me. But for 98% of doctors in this country that take insurance and are subject to insurance, you got to work with them. Yeah. You can't just expect, you know, the miracle of a doctor coming down from the, the mountain to know exactly what's wrong with you. Yeah. And, and, I, and I can imagine that you and I both have this, you know, uh, ability to spend the time with people. And so we build a, kind, a different kind of relationship with them. And I think the one thing I've, I've come to realize in my, in my practice that being a more, you know, empathic man I, I draw a lot of that stuff out of men who are just looking for the opportunity to, to especially with, with a man and who, you know, some issues, especially when it comes to like ED and things like this, that they won't necessarily have with just any doctor. And so when they finally feel like they're comfortable with you and that you see them as, you know, a whole person, <laughs> you know, and all, yeah. all, all their different parts, then, then, we can, then we can really help to like, we build that trust and now, now, now they ex- accept us as their guide through this process. And, you know, th- at that point, then it becomes about sometimes it's a referral that I want to make for, you know, them to see somebody else or whatever. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's where I got all the authors, yeah. you know, the co-authors yeah. of the book or all these, all the, the folks that I, I send out to... Uh, you know, a cardiologist, I send to a cardiologist. Pulmonologist, I send to a pulmonologist. Um, but I, I agree, it's hard. You have to make a connection with your patients. And it's hard when you have 16 minutes yeah. 
to make that connection with your patients. I got to the point where I just felt too pressured to make that connection and then take care of the patient. Uh, but you just have to accept that that's the way that our healthcare system is. Yeah. And you have to make the most of it if you want to get the most out of the system. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate you going through all this. It's such it's such great info. And the book, you know, for anybody who's, you know, feels like they're they're at a point where they just need to be educated a little bit more, understand their resources, or maybe it's, you know, you're, you, 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 you have a husband who's just not taking care of things or boyfriend <laughs> or something. This this is super important because there it's it's broken down into little chunks and as you say in the beginning of the book you can just kind of take it you know one thing at a time or even kind of scroll through and and see if there's specific topics that you that you want to learn more about almost kind of like an encyclopedia of men's health where you can kind of take take one at a time so but I but I yeah I found it very easy to go through you know I mean I'm, I'm I, I know the subject matter pretty well, so I can get through this stuff, you know, very quickly. But I just found there was a lot of great information in there, even just reminders, things that you already know. I mean, sometimes as health providers, we're the worst because we know too much and we don't we don't look to anybody else to sort of, you know, <laughs> field our our challenges. So it was really good to go through, even as a health provider. Like that was that that was great information. Yeah, but I, you know, I tried to write it as an advice book. Mm-hmm. Not a reference book. Yeah, that's that, that's it's, the way it felt too. Yeah, you know, it'd be like your 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 next door neighbor is uh, you know a top cardiologist, and you're having some chest pain or you're getting short of breath going up the stairs, and you go over to your next door neighbor who's a cardiologist, bring him a bottle of wine or something like that, or uh, you know a bag of of apples, and say, you know, can you tell me a little bit about heart disease? And what tests can I get? And yeah. and what labs can I get? And what you know? What are the options for treatment? And and it would be like your next door neighbor sort of telling you, oh, these are the things to do, uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I tried to make it much more conversational than WebMD or you know Mayo Clinic. Right. Um, yeah. It'd be like your 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 buddy, and you know, there's some really important chapters that I've never seen anywhere else. So for example, the, what guys need to know about menopause, mm-hmm. Yeah. right? This is, this can make or break your fifties. Yeah. In terms of your relationship with your spouse and. Yeah. If you don't understand what happens to your wife hormone or spouse hormonally, yeah. you're going to blow it. Yeah. And she's going to go in one direction. You know, she's going to go out drinking wine with her friends and play tennis. And you're going to be out in the golf course with your buddies drinking beer and you'll see each other every once in a while, but that relationship will be broken. Yeah. But if you understand hormonally what's going on uh, and it's not that complex and uh, Russ Bartels is a a male gynecologist uh, and he understands this as well or better than anyone I've ever talked Mm. to. He wrote just an absolutely brilliant chapter uh, in terms of helping men understand menopause and also the aging vagina. Yeah. Right. The vagina is different when you're postmenopausal than it is when you're premenopausal. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, you know, you're not going to be physically intimate with your spouse. Yeah. And so those eight pages are just golden yeah. in terms of helping you out in your golden years. Yeah. And that's and that's one of many of these kind of little things that I, I was surprised to see in there. But I but I think I think men are interested actually. And it's, and they, they, I mean, I found myself drawn to some of the the sections that, you know, like this, that I was just like, 
oh, this is surprising to have in here or something about, you know, yoga or something, you know, it's like for, for people who don't have any experience and who, you know, especially for a, a lot of, I mean, there were, there were women writing for this too, but a, a lot of men writing this stuff sometimes for another man makes it feel safe if you're going to talk about yoga. This is where I feel like I've been able to come in with people and, you know, with men and say, you know, acupuncture or, you know, massage or whatever these things are that I'm recommending to them no one's kind of given them permission to try something like this before, mm-hmm. or they just haven't felt like culturally that that's, that, that that's appropriate for them. So I think that's all important work, you know, right. Yeah. And, and stuff you know, too. the thing is like, I, I, my patients uh, right along those lines of what you're saying, my patients, I call them why patients, right? Because they all want to know why, like, why does this work? Yeah. Yeah. You know, not just like do acupuncture, but explain to me, you know, the, 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 the nerve uh, paths, and why sticking a needle in a certain place in your skin would actually work, and you know what's the what's the background of this, and who developed it, and what you know there have been a lot of studies on acupuncture yeah. by Western medicine showing that in certain disease processes it works. Yeah, you know infertility is a great example. Yeah. There's a great chapter in the book on infertility. Yeah, um, um, but infertility uh, and acupuncture. There's a lot of data on acupuncture working for infertility. And so it's, you know, it, it not only is it telling you what to do, but telling you sort of why it works. And when you understand how and why something works, first of all, your compliance goes up because yeah. you understand why it's important. And two, so I think there's something like, well, I grew up in New York and there was a furniture store, Sims, and Cy Sims used to say, the educated consumer is our best customer. I know, I know Sims. I, I lived in New York for 13 years, so I know exactly. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. That's that's a great quote. I never thought about that one, but that's but it's true. We we live in a why culture. I mean, it, I'm just seeing the way my kids are. You know, my son just started college this year, and that's been a big part of his process all the time. Now he can he he knows he can get information. I mean, usually he'll just yell Siri, "What's the you know statistics mm-hmm. on this?" Because they want to know like immediately now, and and knowing that they can get that information immediately, I think this is going to be a big change in 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 care as well. Absolutely. But it's not just the information, but what's the source of the information? Right, right. You know, that's the, that, you know, that's, I vetted all of these, these folks. And then I edited their chapter and I have a a healthcare editor also, right, you know, editing the chapter. So, you know, all the information in this book is really sort of world-class information. Yeah. And, and I, and I look to people like you, I mean, you know, now that I have a podcast, I get I get contacted by so many people you can't even imagine who are, you know, new in their careers and they want to have like an Instagram presence and they want to do all these different things. But I, I just need, you know, I, I, if I'm going to have this conversation with somebody or if I'm going to get information from somebody who's, uh, who's put a lot of time into writing a book, I need to know the, the sort of, you know, scope of what their career is like, how, you know. To, to some extent, what their what their outcomes have been like, and how many people they've treated, it just gives me a better sense of of where I can have a conversation with them. And I, you know, there's, and it's and it's a reminder, I think, for some people who are newer in their careers to just focus on on what on the skill set that you're building, and not and not pretend to know everything. I mean, I still don't feel like I, I, you know, I'm always looking for more information. It's part of the reason I'm doing a podcast is I, I feel like I learn so much from having these conversations, but. That that doesn't that doesn't replace you know getting your hands on and and <laughs> really seeing what's going on. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You know, it's kind of interesting. I uh, along those lines, I have a patient who's a famous musician, 
and he was telling he was sort of bemoaning the the Instagram like culture where you can put out one song, it goes viral, everyone listens to it, um, but these guys aren't really great musicians, right? He was telling me back in the days of Motown. Those Motown groups were playing 300 shows a year. So much time in, I know. Right. By the time they got famous, they had, you know, 2,000 shows under their belt. Yeah. And they were just rock solid. Yeah. You know, that's guys like you and I that have treated thousands and thousands of patients. You know, those are 2,000 concerts that we've given. And and folks that are just coming out that are sort of understand the social media better, better than you know, we're just starting to build an Instagram because I understand that that's where some people go for information. Right. Uh, and doctors have been really, really lousy yeah. at meeting patients where they acquire information. Yeah. And that's why, to a certain extent, physicians and professionals have been marginalized. Yeah. Because we're not meeting, you know, it's, it's our fault. We're not meeting patients where they get information. And then even... You know, we're boring. <laughs> we're not that entertaining. I mean, let's just be perfectly honest. We spent right, all right. our time studying in the library to get into good college and then spend all our time in college to get into a good medical school and then spend all our time in medical school trying to get into a good residency. And then, you know, when I was in residency, we were on call every third night, which means I would be in the hospital for 36 hours every three days, right? So we're not part of that fun party culture and so when we get on yeah. Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, it's really hor- horrific. Yeah. yeah, there are very few of us that can actually like be entertaining and provide information at the yeah. same time. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully I'm entertaining enough that people, and I have enough credentials that people actually will begin to listen to me or people like me. But, you know, I would call on, I just wrote a, a, an article for Kevin MD, which is like a physician social media site, sort of yeah. taking doctors to task and saying, listen, don't complain that doctors aren't well represented on TV and, and podcasts and this and that and the other thing, because you spend all your time in the office just talking to one patient at a time. Yeah. And so it's our responsibility as professionals to meet patients where they're getting information, provide information in a way that they want that information and then provide high quality information. And, and if, if you get someone interested enough, then you can provide them with kind of more high level information. So yeah. but anyway, that's, the, that's the, the challenge for doctors out there these days and, and healthcare professionals is to be able to provide high quality information in a way that that folks will take it in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the reason I, I decided to do a podcast, and, and I knew I knew the challenges of, you know, health's not a very sexy topic, and you, I think, I think it gets to a certain point though, where where people they they want a, a trusted voice. I mean, I think Mark Hyman at this point has has sort of shown that you know you can build you can build a, a following th- through Instagram talking about very complicated health things and about self-care. So I, I feel I feel like you know we just have to keep kind of pushing these f- conversations forward and I think it's a, it's an important time. I, I I get the sense in my practice right now that there's some people doing like a really amazing sort of personal works and personal discovery work and 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 really you know focusing on their self-care right now and I think that's going to be long term the, the more people we can kind of get on board with that the the, the, the better sort of cultural things will sort of fall in line as well. Absolutely. Cool, man. This is fun. 
we, we yeah, might, absolutely. We, I, I, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have uh, links to all your stuff too. So, you know, through the YouTube channel and, th- and through the podcast, all the, all the different platforms, you can go through show notes and, and there'll be links to all your stuff on there too. So if anyone's looking for products, links to the book and all that stuff. It'll, it'll be awesome. All, all on I there. really appreciate it. All right, man. I, I like your work and uh, nice, oh, nice a having a chat with you. Absolutely. Great to talk to you. Dr. Judson Brandeis, folks. I think what he's put together here is one of the most approachable reads I've ever come across in men's health. And I'm grateful for the work that he's put into this. You can find the book and tons of resource at his website, BrandeisMD.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-E-I-S-M-D.com. Or search for him on our guest page on, on the Highwood Health website. And if you love the content that you get here and would like to see this project grow, you can become a supporter today for the price of a cup of coffee over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health. This and the previous links mentioned can also be found in the show notes on the app that you're listening to. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime through the contact page of our website, highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself. Be kind to each other and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. See you next year.